hardly believe we're getting towards the end of the year. And so I want to try and encourage folks to try and join me, as it were, as we begin 2024 and a couple of, couple of quests uh, in relation to basic Christian living. One is about Bible reading. I know that some folks have already taken on the, the yearly Bible reading calendar. Um, I, I do that. I send out a, a message on a WhatsApp every day with the Bible readings. This is one, the one that I use. There's various ones. It's divided into three sections, two old sections. Say Old Testament passages and a New Testament passage. You can either do it as whole Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. I would like to encourage you to, to get a daily Bible reading schedule. If it's not this one, another one to help you through your Bible reading for 2024. And the other thing is Christian kind of basic is, is prayer. And I want to encourage you, uh, I know we give, we announce it, but probably people don't know what it is. It's called Look on the Fields. It's a little prayer um, diary really like Andrew's prayer diary and I use this every single morning I read and then I pray and I use Andrew's diary and I use this diary and what it is is it's um, every day there's a report from some of the Lord's servants either in the UK or abroad people that have given up secular employment to go out and serve the Lord full time and every day there's a well today is I should know because I read it this morning I think it was Venezuela this morning anyway it doesn't matter it was I didn't know. Sorry about that, folks. That shows you how much attention I pay. It was Zambia this morning. That's right. It was the work of the Lord in Zambia this morning. And it's great because it gives you an opportunity to hear some news and encouragement and get to know, know some people. So if we, we announce them every time they come. They're at the back. Please feel free to take that. So I would encourage you. As you know, It's not a New Year's resolution, but you know it's a good time of the year to take stock and, and just increase your disciplines in your life. So let's turn to Luke chapter 6. We're continuing our studies in Luke chapter 6. And as we read this passage from chapter, verse number 27 down to verse number 42, just keep this in mind. This is teaching for disciples, okay? Now, Andrew was explaining to us that this is parallel passage to Matthew chapter 5 the Sermon on the Mount and whether it's the same occasion or whether Luke's recording similar teaching that the Lord gave on another occasion it doesn't really matter it doesn't really matter but this is preceded in Luke chapter 6 when it says he stood in the plain in the company of his disciples and it says this he lifted his eyes on his disciples and he said so this is him teaching his disciples and in Matthew chapter 5, it's exactly the same. Seeing the multitudes, he went up into the mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him and he taught them, saying. This type of teaching is not teaching as to how to become a child of God. That's not the point of the teaching. The teaching is not, if you do this, you will be a Christian. If you do this, you will be a child of God. This is not... Teaching as how to become a Christian. This is teaching about what the character of a real Christian is, right? So this is not how do I become a Christian, but this is how you recognise a real Christian. This is how a real Christian will behave. For example, one of the great um, crying needs or, or topics of the day is immigration, right? Coming to live in this country from another country and abiding by the rules in this country doesn't make you a citizen of this country. You're just here, right, okay? And you're expected to abide. But once you go through the procedures and you get your citizenships and your passport, you're expected to abide by the rules of the country, 
So you can see the difference, can't you? When you become a citizen, you live by the rules. But even living by the rules doesn't make you a citizen if you belong to another country. So we need to be born again before we can live a Christian life. And this is not a model for us to follow to become a Christian. It's an example of what the Lord expects of us when we, when we are a Christian. People who know about the original language tell us that this passage is full of what they call imperatives, right? The verbs, the doing words are not soft, um, kind of optional words. They're imperatives, necessities, commands, if you like, like love and pray and do good. And the Lord's not saying, look, this is some good advice I'm giving you. He's not saying, as a Christian, it's a good thing to do this. He's saying, as a Christian, this is a necessity that you must do this, right? It's what the Lord expects of us. It's an imperative. It's Christian fundamentals. And it'll be basic to understanding what a real Christian is, true citizen. As we get towards the end, we might not have the time to get it, but you'll discover this. A Christian, a citizen of God's kingdom, is always hard on themselves, but easy on other people. Right? You set high standards for yourself and aim towards one of the scary things is at the end of the passage the Lord says, be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So there are high, there's a high bar set, right? And as a Christian, you, you look to what the Lord teaches and you're hard on yourself, aren't you? You know, and you feel that. But you're easy on other people. And that's exactly the opposite to what the Pharisees are. The Pharisees are hard on other people and easy on themselves. They'd say, don't do as I do, do as I say, right? And a Christian is somebody who's hard on themselves for discipline, but gracious to others, conscious of, of their weakness. And we'll see that when we come to this little phrase, judge not that you be not judged. And we'll, we need to put that, understand what the Lord meant by that in the context in which he was saying. So let's read the passage, chapter 6, verses 27 to 42. It's a very straightforward passage in terms of language and instruction. But for me, folks, it's actually a really very scary passage when I read it. So let's read it and listen to what the Lord says and let us give him his deserving authority and the word of God, its appropriate respect and honour and listen not to what Jim says, but listen to what God says in his word through the Lord Jesus. Verse 27. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. And to him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And to him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take away thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee. And of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if you love them which love you, what thank have you have for sinners also love those that love them? And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? 
for sinners also do the same. And if ye lend to them whom ye hope to receive, what thank of ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much. Again, just remember that that word sinners is not a condemnatory word. It's just a word that's distinguishing between those who are belonging to the Lord and those who are in the world. And they're basically saying, if you behave just like ordinary people behave, you know, what difference is there? You know, what's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian if we just behave like the world behaves? Christians live different lives by different standards. That's the kind of big point, isn't it? 35. Repetition. But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be children of the highest. For he, that's God, is kind and unthankful to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. So a Christian life is actually a reflection of what God is like. People should see a Christian and see in that Christian characteristics of God. Godliness, Christ-likeness. Judge not that, and ye shall not be judged. This is one of the verses. That the world doesn't want the Bible, but this is about one of the verses that the world loves, Right? And it's basically saying, you know, who are you to say whether I'm doing right or wrong, right? Judge not that you be not judged. It's the great, um, the great war word for tolerance and, and, and diversity. The Lord is not saying you mustn't be able to discern between what's right and wrong, right? He's not. This whole passage is characterised by one of the first words, love, right? Love. And love your enemies and what he's saying is don't be like pharisees who take the high position and pass standards and judgment and everybody else to make them feel inferior and you feel superior he's saying don't set yourself up as superior to everybody else because if you treat people like that they're going to treat you exactly the same and you can you deserve it but in another passage and i'm taking time to explain this because we won't get time to do it in detail the Lord says in John um, 7, when he's dealing with Pharisees, he says, listen, you need to learn to judge righteous judgment. You need to be able to judge. But what that means, you need to be able to discern between what's right and what's wrong. Now, we don't, as Christians, stand on high ground above Christians, non-Christians looking down at them and say, we are much better than you, our standards are much higher than you, and look at you, what you are. We don't look down on people and judge them in that sense, but we do have to say, you know, this is right, and this is wrong. And we have to be able to discern right and wrong. We're not judges in a courtroom passing sentence on other people but we are people that have the word of god that know the difference between right and wrong the judgment in that sense of passing final judgment and condemnation who does that belong to that belongs to the lord doesn't it doesn't it and our message is not to judge but to present the gospel so that folks can be saved we are no better in that sense than anybody else and we don't look down on people with standards that we have that they don't have as if we are better. By God's grace, the Lord has saved us. But we mustn't judge in that sense. We mustn't be known as people, Christians, that look down on other people. Well, if we didn't, by the grace of God, if we didn't 
I know, I, I can't speak about you. I can speak about me, and I can tell you that if the Lord hadn't saved me, I'd be the worst of the worst, folks. I don't know where I would be today. I'd probably be dead, okay? So I can't look at anybody who's lying in a gutter or behind a prison cell and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I can't have anything to do with you. I'm too good for you. You can't do that. Christians don't do that. Christians do exactly the opposite to that, don't they? Well, let's, I shouldn't have stopped there. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, and, met shall, and shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, will it be measured to you again. And he speak a parable unto them. Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? The disciple is not above his master. But everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. Perfect there is mature and maturing. Right, okay. And why beholdest thou, here's this, a Christian is hard on himself and kind on other people. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, and perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Either how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye, when thou beholdest not the beam that's in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, cast out first the beam in thine own eye, and thou shalt see clearly to pull out the moat that is in thy brother's eye. There's a little, not illustration of fault, but if you go to the end of John 21, the Lord speaks about John. And Peter thinks, oh, the Lord's going to bless John uh, in a way that he's not going to bless me. And he asks a question about John. And the Lord says, excuse me, Peter, never mind about John. What is that to thee? Follow thou me. And the Lord's saying here, you know, don't get occupied by the faults of others. Just keep yourself right. And as a priority, don't spend your life looking down and judging others. Just walk in the fear of the Lord yourself. And, and, and you know, you've got bigger faults in your own life than other people have got. That's what I'm saying. A Christian sees bigger faults in their own life than they do in other people's life. So, let's just try and say a few general things about this passage Andrew's been really unkind to me. There's me, me judging him. And he's given me passages that would probably take us a week to go through rather than a half an hour to go through. So we'll just take the big lessons. What is the real danger to Christian testimony in the world? Is it persecution? Is persecution the way that Christianity diminishes? Exactly the opposite is true. Christian testimony always prospers under persecution. Now that is not me saying I'm looking for persecution here. I'm not saying that. But the, the, the enemy by persecution always furthers the testimony of the Christian rather than, than declines it. Isn't that right? The, seed of the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That's 2,000 years of church history and even um, Old Testament history proves that, right? It's poverty an enemy of Christian testimony. Again, exactly the opposite is true. 
Isn't that right? Because if you go to areas of the, the world, and some of us have had privilege to be in areas of the world like that, you'll see the Christian testimony doesn't dwindle with poverty. It thrives with poverty because people get to understand there are actually bigger things than just material things and much more important things. And the reverse would be true, that often prosperity is the enemy of Christian testimony rather than the opposite because you come to rely on your own things, don't you? And I'm reading through Revelation 2 and 3 at the moment where a Christian church was rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And the Lord said, you're poor and naked. So what is the big danger for Christian testimony? Do you know what it is, folks? It's counterfeit Christianity. It's counterfeit Christianity. The greatest danger to Christian testimony is not persecution, it's imitation. Now, if you go next door, sometimes some of us have to go through next door and, and buy um, milk, you'll see they've got, a, they've got pictures on the wall of counterfeit money that they've been given, right? Somebody's passed off a, a, a tenner or a fiver in there and they get really grumpy about that. Not that I've done it, I have to say that to you, okay? And I actually have in my office, I was looking for it this morning, I've actually got a counterfeit £5 note that I took to the, it was a shop or a bank, and I was really embarrassed when they did the, you know, you know the pen they do, and the pen, and it was counterfeit, and they gave me it back. And Counterfeits only benefit one person, don't they? The person that does the counterfeit. And what they're doing is they're, they're trying to undermine, and they're trying to mimic, and they're not real. So how do we know what a real, who is a real Christian and what's a real Christian testimony? Is it by a name, taking a name? Is that, is that how you know it? I am a Christian. Is, is that enough to say to that person, that person's a Christian? Right. You could go 50 metres down the road and there's a place called the Christian Spiritualist Church. Right? Now, again, I'm not judging the people... But I do know that what the Bible does is very specifically forbids communication with the dead. Isn't that right? So because they've put Christian in front of that, does that make the person and the people there Christians? Absolutely not, does it? You go to Germany and you'll get to the, 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 the general election and, you'll, and uh, Holland as well. You'll be asked to vote for a party that's called the Christian Democrats. Right? Now... Maybe the ones that originated were true Christians, but if you look at their agenda and things like that, it's anything but, but Christians. Falsehood does not only dilute Christian testimony, but it destroys Christian testimony. I, I, I'm saying this because I want you to see that what the Lord's doing is helping us understand what real Christians look like. This has always been true. Listen to Jeremiah in the Old Testament. The Lord said to me, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. I sent them not, neither have I commanded them, neither speak I unto them. They prophesy unto you a false vision and divination. It's always been the way. When you come into the New Testament, the apostles were constantly occupied with exposure of falsehood, counterfeit, because they knew how dangerous it was. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians. For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. 
And the Acts of the Apostles, in the early church, when you would have thought things early on would have been as healthy and thriving as possible, in Acts 13, it says, when they were gone through the Isle of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar Jesus. Paul in Galatians 2 says, and because of false brethren, unawares brought in. Peter says, but there were false prophets among the people, as there will be false teachers amongst you. John says, beloved, try every spirit, whether they are of God, because there are false prophets that are going out into the world. And in the end times, in Revelation chapter 16, listen to what it says, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. So we've read in Luke chapter 6 about Pharisees who would stick to the word of God as best they could and who would portray themselves as the the real deal. And the Lord says, actually, do you know what? This is how you know the real deal. This is how it all works. These things don't make you a Christian. What they do is the evidence that you're a Christian. And I don't know if you looked, you were listening carefully as we were reading that, or maybe you were just reading it in your head. But the standards in this passage are, well, too high for me. Too high for me. Love your enemies. Give without expecting anything to come back. Forgive. That is not natural. Exactly the opposite is true, isn't it? And the Lord's saying that Christians and Christianity is characterised by attitudes and actions that are totally contrary to natural ways that the world lives. Isn't that right? There are some religions that see it their business, if they're offended, they lash out at those that offend them. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? I, I, I'll be careful what I say, because on the internet, some people can hear things and, and misrepresent them. But, you know, you know, people defend, lash out, fight. Christians don't do that. Christians do exactly the opposite. And 2,000 years of Christian testimony, real Christian testimony, has not been characterised by those who fight physically for Christianity, but those who take wrong and love those who give them wrong. Now, I know there's been campaigns and crusades in the name of Christianity, but none of those were real Christianity, folks. That's what I'm saying. You've got to be able to discern what's real and what's false. And the Lord says, I'm going to show you what's real and what's false. How can you live a life with such high standards. How do you do that? Do you do that by determination and resolve and New Year writing down for yourself resolutions? If you've never read the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards, you should, folks. You should. I've got a big poster on my wall, resolutions, things that he resolved in his heart. I don't mean that's not good, but what I'm saying to you is to reach the things that please the Lord, you don't do it by determination, you do it by transformation. As the Lord transforms you by his spirit into the image of Christ, these things start to appear. They start to appear in your life. So, how do you recognise? But I say unto you, 
I say unto you, the Lord's saying, right? Okay, one to them that are rich, for they receive full. How do you know who a real Christian is? How should a real Christian live, right? Two things. One, it's all about the character of the life. How you act and react to circumstances. And so if you read these passages, it's how you act in the face of difficulty and how you react when people give you difficulty. And a Christian life is not what church you attend and what name you take. It's how you act and react in life circumstances. There's many a person would take the name of Christian but just behave themselves in a totally natural way. And the Lord said, excuse me, a Christian character acts and reacts in totally ways that are totally alien to this world. Totally alien. So, so one of the things that the Lord says is, when somebody claims to be a Christian and a church claims to be a Christian church, what you have to do is you have to not just look at the things they do, you have to look at the character of that church. And that takes a lot of time to do that, doesn't it, folks? Character doesn't just develop in a moment, it develops over time. And so you have... The other thing you need to do, and we'll see this as we go on, and that, that was why I stopped and talked about be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. One of the ways you recognise a true Christian Christian church is the direction of travel that they're going in. The direction their mind and their heart is set on. What way do they want to go? Right? Be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, is that bar, is that what the Lord, does the Lord expect us to have sinless perfection in our life? No. Well, it's true from John's epistles that that obviously is not true. But he doesn't expect us to want to sin. He expects us to be travelling in the direction that takes us away from sinning, not towards sinning. And it's all about direction of travel in a Christian's life rather than where they are at a particular point in time. Because you could take a snapshot of a Christian's life on a particular day or under a set of circumstances and you would say that person couldn't possibly be a Christian because a Christian wouldn't react in that way. Well, take an example. If you were at the assembly dinner last Friday, you would have seen the way I reacted. We were not treated properly, we weren't given what we promised and uh, I got really upset and I reacted in a way that a proper Christian wouldn't have reacted. Right? And I'm, I'm not proud of that. Not proud of that. But if you take the snapshot of my life on that night, you would say, that boy couldn't possibly be a Christian. But I hope you won't take a snapshot of my life and just say on that night because he reacted like that. I confess my faults one to another, right? Okay. But I would... I hope this is not... My heart's set on pleasing the Lord. And when those things happen in my life, what I do is, as I was saying, I'm hard on myself. Sometimes you can get too hard on yourself, can't you? But I go and I, I tell the Lord what a failure I am and, and what I've done. And, 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 and you know, I, I really, I will, if that happens again, Lord, don't let me do that again. Don't let me do that again. And I probably will. Right? Okay. But if you'd done that, I wouldn't have been hard on you. I would have totally understood that. Because, yeah, a Christian is hard on themselves, but easy and understanding in other people. But it is really important to be able to recognise and identify what's true and what's false. That's really important, folks. Why? Because fellowship and unity are really, really important in the, in the testimony of God. Here's the Lord. The Lord writes and he says, The glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one even as they 
Uh, we are one. The Lord desires unity and fellowship amongst his people. And we've got to be moving in the same direction, with the same desires. We might not all be at the same point in our life, but that's what we're doing. And this, is, this passage here is the Lord saying, These are, here's the target, here's the target. Is this what you're moving towards? Is this what you want to move towards? Is this what people can see in your life that you're moving towards? Or are you just saying, well, that's just too, too, too hard for me. I'm saved, but I'm failing. So I'm just going to accept the faults in my life. Or is there a restlessness within you to do that? You say, but is that not judgmental to look at other Christians and, and judge their character in the direction of travel? That's exactly what we're called to do. It's a commandment of the Bible for us to discern between right and wrong between good and evil. And that's what I meant by the Lord says, judge righteous judgment. There's two different characters of judgment. One is to stand superior to somebody and look down and pass sentence on them as, you, as if you have the authority to condemn them for what they're doing. And we are not called upon to do that. Christ Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him to be saved. And the Lord didn't, everywhere he went, call down fire from heaven he could have done. What he did was he showed grace and kindness. But he did expose right and wrong, didn't he? We've already had it in twice in this passage with the Pharisees. When the Lord says, you know, you tell people to do this and you don't even do it yourself. So let's see a couple of things and then we're finished. Oh dear. Imperatives. Go down this little passage, folks, when you go home, get a marker and look at the imperatives, the things that God says as Christians we should be aspiring to. Right? Love. Do good. Bless. Pray. Offer. Let be merciful, judge not, condemn not, forgive. But there are people in the world who do that to each other because they want benefit back. The glory of the Christian here is that they do it to people not because they want the same back, but they do it to people unconditionally. So you'll get love your, what? Enemies. Because non-Christians just love their friends, don't they? Do good. What? To them which hate you. Bless them which curse you. Pray for them that despitefully use you. In your actions, be Christians. <laughs> and there's a whole passage. Well, let's just think of this. Love your enemies. Okay. Israel doesn't love their enemies at the moment. Hmm? Hmm? Nah, that's not a political comment. It's not folks. And it's not a... Not a, a thing. But what happens is, you prick me. Do you know what you're going to get from me? <laughs> you're going to get retribution, right? And I'm going to be the one that's going to meet it out. Does that mean the Lord's unconcerned about those who treat his people badly? 
Does the Lord not care if people despitefully use us? Or curse us? Does the Lord not care? Of course he cares about that. But that judgment, righteous judgment, is belonging to the Lord, not to us. We are asked to display in our character what his current display of his character is, of kindness and mercifulness and forgiveness. Because God is love. We're only being asked to manifest in our life the character. And God loves who? Just those that love him. God loves his enemies. Because that's what we were. Isn't that right? God didn't wait till we were friends. For when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more than being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That chapter talks about Christians be, uh, those Christians before being saved as being ungodly sinners and enemies, right? Love your enemies. Is that possible? Is that possible? I'm finished. I'm going to show you two books. When I was a teenager, teenager, I had to teach myself to read. I don't mean read words, but teach myself to read books, right? And so every summer, I had two books that during my summer holidays, I would insist on getting my way through. Some of you know already the first one, Pilgrim's Progress, right? And I found that in my shelves, and it's a, a Sunday school prize for my father-in-law in 1940, okay? Not mine's, not mine's, okay, just in case you think it is. The other book I re- used to read was this, The Journals of Jim Allen. And then there's two other books called Through Gates of Splendour, right? And these are great. And I used to read that book. This is, you'll see it. This is a newer one of mine. But my original one's just marked all the way through. And that's called The Journals of Jimmy Elliot. Jimmy Elliot was one of five men in the 1950s who left everything and went to Ecuador and to reach unreached people with the gospel. They were called the Auka Indians, right? Don't call them the Auka Indians now because Auka means savage. And if you say Auka to them, it's like saying to a Scotsman, you're a, you know, you're a savage. You know, they, would, they would react savagely, I can tell you. But these five men gave their lives for the gospel, right? They went in and on their first real contact at the Curare River, all five of these men were speared to death. And it took a while to find their bodies. Jimmy Elliot. Ed McCulley, Roger Ruderian, Pete Fleming, Nate Saint. That's how much this book means to me. How do you think their families reacted to that? Mm-hmm. Jim Elliot's wife was Elizabeth Elliot. And they had one daughter. And actually her daughter used to live over in, in Newcastle. And Nate Saint, the pilot, had a sister called Rachel Saint. And Elizabeth Elliot and her daughter and Rachel Saint, some months after the death of their husbands, you know what they did? They went back to those very same Indians to show them the love of Christ. They didn't go back with guns and they didn't go back with with armies to take retribution on those that had killed their, their husbands and their brother. They, took, they went back with the love of Christ in their heart and a Bible in their hand. 
And if you take time to read the story of the Auka Indians and, and God's remarkable work in them. Anyway, a story is this. Nate Saints, Rachel Saint, had a, Rachel Saint then had a, a son who had no grandfather because his grandfather had died. And, the thing. and he went back, he was one of the ones that went back to the Auka Indians. And it was a man who said, I'll be your grandfather. He was called Minkau. And this Minkau, one of those Auka Indians, became grandfather to the man that had no grandfather because he was killed in, in, in that incident. And that young man and that Minkau Indian became grandfather and grandson just as close as that. And do you know what? Minkau was one of the very men that had taken his grandfather's life. Could you have done that? Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good to them that despitefully use you. Bless them that curse you. That's what Christians do. It doesn't make us a Christian. That's the mark. And the Lord says, if you can see somebody like that, and they say they're a Christian, you can be pretty sure they are. Not just because they say and where they go, it's because they are. The Lord help us, eh? And let's look after ourselves first before we start looking after other people. Because hmm? I've got a big beam in my eye, so I'm not going to start taking the scale out of yours. That's just that first word. Love your enemies. Thanks, Andrew, for giving me such a great passage. <laughs> It's a big challenge to me, folks. May the Lord help us to be what the Lord wants us to be and that the world may see that we are real, not false. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for such a wonderful saviour. Thank you for a wonderful spirit. Thank you, Lord, for living the way you lived and dying the way you died and rising the way you rose and saving the way you save. And help us, Lord, to be faithful and true to serve thee in the way that you expect us to. We're thankful to be together. We're thankful for the refreshment and we give thanks in the Lord's name. Amen.